Well, good morning again and welcome to fellowship and welcome to our time of teaching and preaching the word of God. Let me just once again welcome our guests. If you're new to fellowship, we are really grateful and thankful to have you and for you to be a part of our service. And I know that many of you, or at least some of you, are here uh, to see uh, family and friends um, uh, that are going to be baptized. And so you're coming uh, to support them. And uh, I just want to say, again, welcome to our church. And I'm so glad that you can be here as a support uh, to those uh, that are being baptized. It's such a, such a special day for them. And uh, again, we're just so grateful that you can be a part of our uh, worship service. And as we are continuing in worship, and uh, you've, heard, you've heard singing, and now we move into the time of preaching and teaching the Word of God, which is a very important time uh, for us. And we do this, again, because this is what God has called and asked us uh, to do when we gather And so we want to continue uh, to do that. I also want to take a uh, a moment to to mention something that I really believe needs uh, to be said and to be said uh, publicly from uh, even uh, just in our church and uh, from one of your pastors. And that is that we give uh, great praise to God uh, for the decision that was made this week uh, by the Supreme Court of the United States. We were very thankful for the decision that was made to overturn Roe v. Wade. And as you know, that provided a constitutional right uh, to abortion. And um, a nation that is constitutionally uh, protecting the right to end the life of unborn babies is really a nation that is storing up divine wrath upon itself. And that is something that we even heard um, last week uh, from, from the text, from, from the book of Romans. There's much more to be done for sure, um, but I think it's important that we thank God for this decision and that we continue to pray and we ask God to guide and direct this nation uh, and, and the leaders of our nation. So I wanted to make sure to, uh, to speak to that and just give thanks to God as, as we move into today's message, uh, we're going to be looking at an Old Testament text that speaks to idolatry. And in the Old Testament, idolatry took the form of wooden idols, uh, idols made from various kinds of metals. But today, our idols are much more advanced, at least we would think so. Uh, people today do not typically have a wooden or, or metal uh, object that they carry around and, and worship. It's much more likely today to actually be a, an electronic device, <laughs> um, something like that, or self even, or anything else. But make no mistake that in the eyes of God, it is no less of an idol. So an idol does not have to really be an object at all. Uh, It can even be an aspiration, uh, like just success. We can make success an idol. Financial independence can be an idol. There's so many. We just have, we're we're really good at uh, making idols in terms of humanity. And in biblical terms, anything that takes the place of worship 
or worth that belongs only to God, which that song we just sang reminded us that we are to behold our God because no one is worthy of the worship that he alone is, is worthy of. But when you give that to something or someone else, you are moving into idolatry. And so today, as we look at this uh, Old Testament scripture, you're going to see why the God of the scriptures claims to be the one and only God worthy of worship. I think it might even potentially surprise you as to what we're going to see in this text. And why the worship of anything or anyone else is foolishness. Why, why it is also just so offensive to God. And maybe some of you that are here today would not even classify yourselves as Christians. My, my prayer is simply that you would just hear from this God of the scriptures. And that you would see from his word that he truly is the one and only God worthy of worship. Nothing and no one else is worthy of worship. So let's pray and ask God to lead us. Lord, we are, we, how can we come before you in any other way but in humility, humbling ourselves before you? And so we do that, even as we have testified through song of, of what, it, what it is like to behold you we continue to humble ourselves before you and your word. We ask you, God, to lead and guide us through the teaching of scripture. Lead and guide me. We continue to pray, Lord God, that you would lead and guide this nation that is in such great need of leaders that fear you and seek to honor you and give you the praise and, and, the, and the worth uh, that you deserve. So Lord God, we, we do humble ourselves. I ask that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can turn in your Bibles. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to be in chapter four today. If you do not have a Bible with you, we'll be putting the, uh, the scripture on the screen so you can follow along uh, with us. But if you're not familiar with this book, this book of Deuteronomy is largely a book made up of sermons that Moses preached to Israel uh, before his death and, and before the, the people entered the promised land under Joshua. And throughout this book, Moses, what he's doing is he's urging Israel to remain faithful to the law that God gave to them uh, about 40 years earlier um, at Sinai. And you're going to hear that referred to in the text today as Horeb. Um, and and the, the text that was already read in Deuteronomy for Horeb and Sinai referring basically to the same location. And in this particular chapter, Moses asks the people two questions that I want to start with in verse 7 and 8. And the first question is this. He says, what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? You see that in verse 7. The second question he asks is, what great nation is there that has laws that are as righteous as the laws that our God has given to us. And so he's raising this question to uh, the people of Israel. 
He's making it clear, Moses, that, that Israel is special because God has been so close to them, so near to them, and because there is no nation in existence on the face of the earth with righteous laws, like the laws that God has given to, to Israel. And because of how, how good God, God has been to them, and because his laws are so righteous, this nation, these, these people, they need to obey the righteous laws, and they should never worship any other God but this God. In fact, Moses makes it clear that idolatry is an abomination to God. Starting at verse 15, Moses makes it clear that idolatry in any form is absolutely forbidden. In in verse 15, Moses says, and it'll it'll be on the screen for you to see. Moses says that since God did not reveal himself to Israel in the form of any kind of object or figure, He says, do not ever attempt to make a likeness of God and worship that likeness. Look at verse 15. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure. And then in verses 16 through 18 Moses specifically lists the ways in which God forbids, forbids his likeness to be made into an idol. He's forbidding it. And we see that list there. And I, I, wanna, I just want to point it out for you. He, he says, do not replicate my likeness through making a carved image. So I want to li- list these out for you to see. Making a carved image, the form of any figure. Do not not try to replicate the likeness of God in any of these ways. Making a carved image, the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or a female. Don't don't take a, a human being in the ways that I've created them, male and female, and try to replicate me, God. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't try through the likeness of any animal on the earth. And then he lists specific ways like the likeness of any winged bird that flies or the likeness of any creature on the ground or the likeness of any fish in the water. Like these are, these are all creations of God. Don't try to take something that God has created and make a likeness of God through that creature. That's actually offensive to God. That's an abomination to God. And this is why churches and, and followers of Christ, you should not be seeking to objectify God in some way. He commands that we don't do this. You're not, don't try to find some certain holy object that somehow is, is, is God to you. He actually commands that you don't do that. We don't create objects like that. We, we don't even have pictures or anything that we somehow claim is a likeness of God because God expressly forbids that. That's why you don't see objects like that uh, in our church that, that, that somehow are supposed to be God's likeness. It's, it's why we don't want to have images that, that we say are of God because he says don't try to do that. And so we're, we want to be obedient. He forbids it. And then, and then he moves on from that, Moses, and he issues a false worship warning. Beware of this specific kind of false worship. 
And he says, beware of worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations of the skies. In your, in your, depending on your translation, you might have there the heavenly array in, in the skies. Look at verse 19. Beware that you are not drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole of heaven. And he says, beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. Lest you look up and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, you're actually, you actually think you should worship them instead of me. The scripture makes it so clear that the worship of nature is idolatry. It's false worship. And yet, don't we see the very things that God expressly forbids as objects of worship are all worship today? We, have, we, we see this. People in our world today worship the sun, the moon. They look to the stars for guidance, for direction. They look to the stars for instruction, for their future. And, and, and we don't have to go far in the Bible to see this is expressly forbidden. It's all false worship. This is idolatry. And we need to, be, we need to recognize that. That it's false worship. It's idolatry. We don't look up into the sky for things uh, to worship when, we, when, we look, when we're thinking about worshiping the creation of God. We also have to recognize that humans are the stewards over the earth. Even how we approach the environment, we want to do that in a way that demonstrates that God, that the, the earth is God's creation and that humanity has been placed as stewards over the earth, not the other way around. Now, what point is being made here by listing these specific commands against idolatry? Moses is going somewhere. I'm trying to lead you there. So I hope, I hope this makes sense as we continue to go along. All of these idols, all of these carved images, the animals, the birds, the sun, the moon, the stars, they all have form. They all have form. You can touch the carved images. You can touch the animals. You can see the sun each day. You can feel its heat. You can see the moon at night. You can see the light that it, that it shines. Same with the stars. You can go out at night and you can see the stars and know that they're there. And if you're someone who enjoys the outdoors, and I know many of us do, you enjoy the outdoors, you enjoy nature, you appreciate the beauty of God's creation uh, we were on the West Coast last week. We were in Oregon and, uh, and in California, and, and, and there's some beautiful places to see. We saw, we saw Mount Hood and this imposing giant mountain. We saw the sunsets over the Pacific Ocean. Some of the mountains in California, they're amazing. They're actually breathtaking. But none of those things are to be worshipped. All of those things are to point us to God. And we don't see that happening in our world today. So Moses is pointing out these, these things all have form. And then he's going to continue. And, and I'm going to ask this question. What is the central truth here? What is the central truth? I'm asking. I'm putting that up even on the screen for you to see. Because I don't want you to miss it. For that, I'm going to look at now at verses 11 and 12. We're going to break this down. Moses says, remember what happened at Mount 
Horeb, when the people approached the mountain, look at verse 11, and you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There it is again, no form. There was only a voice. So let me back up again. What is the main point? That Moses is making here. And again, don't miss this. The main point is verse 12. And here's what it is. The Lord spoke to you. The Lord spoke to you. That's it. God spoke to you. Nation of Israel. And the central truth that Moses is getting to is that God spoke. God spoke, and and that matters. That's why Moses specifically mentions that they saw no form. He specifically says, remember, you didn't see a form like the carved images. Like like, like even nature. You You didn't see a form in contrast to the idols which have form. You heard a voice. God spoke. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because Moses is contrasting idolatry with the true worship of God. And he's using something as the basis, as the, as the foundation of that contrast. He's building a foundation that he's going he's to rest this contrast on top of. And, and the basis, the foundation of that, of that contrast is revelation. It's revelation. God revealing himself. All of the idols, all of the idols have something in common. And Moses is distinctly making sure that Israel doesn't forget this. We need to be reminded of it today. What is that commonality? They do not speak. Idols do not speak. God speaks. Carved and metal images do not speak. The idols do not speak. But Moses, what he's doing is he's pointing out that the God of Israel, the God of the scriptures, this God of the universe, he speaks and he has spoken to us. And on that basis, the basis of revelation, how God reveals himself, he is proving something to Israel and he's proving something to every other nation that is paying attention and he's proving this, I am the one and only true God. All these other gods that these other nations worship and they bow down to, they don't speak. Now what did the voice of God speak? Because Moses tells us that. He spoke a covenant Look at verse 13. He spoke a covenant and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the 10 commandments. And he wrote them on the two tablets of stone. He's referring back again to the law. When his people, his children, when they choose to worship gods of stone, follow me on this. When when the children of Israel, when the people of Israel, when they choose to worship gods of stone and gods of metal and gods of gold and silver, or even today, The people of God choose to worship gods of plastic and electronics and self or anything else. We become covenant breakers. 
because God spoke a covenant. And when idolatry enters in, the covenant is broken and we commit infidelity against the covenant with God. We all have a covenant with God as, as people who are brought into that covenant through Christ. And we cannot allow anything to take the place that God alone should have. And he declared the covenant. So I want to now step back and review what Moses is reminding Israel about. We know that he spoke a covenant. We see the basis of the, uh, of the whole thing, which is revelation. They, the commonality of the idols, they don't speak. Let's review what Moses is reminding Israel about. First, God spoke. Do not take that lightly. Can I just say that? Don't take that lightly. If, that, if, you, if you kind of hear that and, and you're thinking, well, I already know that, Pastor. It's not really that big of a deal. What I'm trying to do is make it a big deal. I, I'm trying to help you see that is a big deal. And if it's not, then I'm going to ask you to ask God to do work in you so that you can see that it is. But not only that, not only just God spoke but the manner in which God spoke. That's, that's Moses doesn't want the people just to know that God spoke. He wants them to know the manner in which he spoke. We see that again in verses 11 and 12. He spoke out of the mountain. Now, don't, don't miss the, what, how, how amazing this text is. Out of the mountain with smoke and fire and clouds. We know from other texts in... Um, in Exodus, that also thunder. And what is all that proof? It proves that this is the one and only true God because God is actually, so these other nations, they're worshiping nature, but what is God proving through the way he speaks? He is God over nature. He commands a mountain to have a voice come out of it, and it does. And smoke and fire, and clouds, and thunder are all a part of how God is speaking, the manner in which he's speaking, which is demonstrating that nature obeys God. And he is the God over all things. So considering all of that, where am I going with this? I'm I'm leading you on as we continue to go through this. I want to ask you uh, what, what I'm describing as a harrowing question. And that is this, what if God had not spoken? What if God had not spoken? Now, I'm sure as you sit there, you can come up with a lot of thoughts and ideas in your mind if God did not speak. But I would say to you that we honestly do not even really have to imagine. We see it all around us. Our American society, our leaders in government, our culture, our media, the influencers of social media, so many act and behave as if the God of the universe has not spoken. The reactions that we see to the Supreme Court decision all over the country, some of them horrifying, God is so merciful. But if God has not spoken, then life and lifestyle is really up to every individual to decide for themselves. 
If God has not spoken, then you can do what you want with unborn babies and with children. If God has not spoken, then life may actually resemble some sort of buffet line of beliefs and ideologies. And you're walking through life, and you're walking through the buffet line, and you're picking and choosing, and no one can tell you you can't pick from wherever you want to pick from and make your own dish of beliefs. If God has not spoken, this approach that I'm telling you about may actually make sense and work. If God has not spoken, there's no right and there is no wrong. If God has not spoken, no one can tell you, no one can say they have the higher ground, no one can say they have the authority over you. What gives them that? And if God has not spoken, there is no true justice that can be found. Because everyone will have their own idea of what justice is. But God has spoken. And that's the whole point of what Moses is reminding Israel about. And it's what we need to be reminded of today. God has spoken. And here's the thing. It changes everything. It should change everything. I want to say this in love, but it doesn't really matter what you think. It only matters what God says. We have a world that has been so deceived by Satan, they have, and they have, been, they have been influenced by media and so many other things that keep reminding them, what you think matters more than anything. And what the church, what our message is, is not, it's don't try to tell people what you think. We're just fight, we're playing the same game. Tell them what God says, that God has spoken. In verse 33, Moses asks Israel another question. He asks, has anyone else, verse 33, look at it. Anyone else ever heard the God of the universe speak and live to tell about it? Hey, Israel, has anybody ever done that? Has that ever happened? He's reminding Israel of the privilege they've had. Do you realize God spoke to you? And then later in the chapter, he tells them why God chose to speak to Israel. He doesn't just tell them that he did. He tells them why. Why did God speak to Israel? Why did God do this? Here's the answer. That they might know the Lord is God and there is no other beside him. Why did God speak to Israel? That because they needed to know that the Lord is God and there is no other beside him. Verse 35, look at it. And I, and, and I think it'll be coming up here on the screen to you. It was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him out of heaven. He let you hear his voice. He let you hear his voice that he might discipline you, that he might disciple you through his word. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. 
in speaking and hearing the voice of God himself, God was demonstrating to Israel that he alone is God and there is no other. No other gods speak. But why is that? Because they have nothing to say. They have nothing to offer. Our God has much to say and much to offer. Let me share a couple of ideas with you. Some things for you to just think about and apply. I want to give you two reasons God has spoken that I think we can take from this text. Because I think this, here's what I think. I think if you know this to be true and you believe these things to be true, these reasons, I think it will change how you live. I want to say that again. I think if you really take this in, what we're talking about today, and you allow this to pour into your mind and into your heart, it will change how you live. First, God has spoken so that all of humanity may know that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below, and there is no other. This, uh, this is getting repeated again, and, and I want to, again, just make it clear. But Moses repeated it again, too, in verse 39. Look at verse 39. Know therefore today, and don't just know it in your mind. He said, lay it to your heart. Let it go from here to here. The Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Did you hear that? Your God is God in heaven and on earth. We need to be reminded of that. And there is no other So God has not only shown us that he is God, he has told us that he is the one and only true God, the God of heaven and earth. And to live as if he is not God is to live in idolatry is what Moses is saying. What he's telling Israel, what the word is saying, it's to live as if God has not spoken. Do you hear that? It's to live as if he hasn't spoken. In God's word, there is no more serious charge than that of idolatry. Idolatry is the chief identifying mark of those who do not belong to God. Those who are under his wrathful judgment. Idolatry is the ultimate expression of unfaithfulness to God because you are breaking the covenant that he spoke. It violates that covenant, which was spoken again out of the mountain with smoke and fire. Second reason I want to give you is that God has spoken, so we must obey his word with unrelenting faithfulness. We don't just need, yeah, God said it, so, you know, I got to do what it says. It's not, that's, not what he's, that's not that kind of attitude he's talking about. It, it's, it's God said it. God said this. How dare I think I can do otherwise? That's a very different mindset. And that's what Moses is compelling the people to see and what we need to be compelled to. God is the creator of all things. He's the creator of everything. We are the creatures and we must obey his word and we must be faithful to what God has said as if it has come from God himself. Because what? It has And so are you ignoring what God has said about something because you've decided you don't want to give it up? Maybe there's something in your life and you're just like, I know God says this about that, but 
Or maybe you're ignoring what God has said because society and our culture and politics think, make you think differently. And so now you agree with society. And either way, you're ignoring what God has said. And that thing now is an idol. Sometimes we ignore his word because deep down, you know what we're really saying to God? And this is what we need to come to terms with. Satan's not going to tell us this, but this is really what's happening. When we ignore God's word, here's what we're saying to God. God, you have not spoken on this. And I'm here to tell you, as a broken jar of clay declaring his message, I assure you, he has spoken. So God has spoken. He still speaks today. And incredibly, here's what I don't also want you, you to miss. He speaks even more powerfully today and clearly than he did at Horeb and at, and at Sinai. And you think, oh no, you, pastor, you're wrong. Because if, if I saw a mountain and it was talking and smoke and fire, uh, I'd get it. And I'd say to you, okay, that's what you think. But God says otherwise. I want to point you to Hebrews 1.1. The writer of Hebrews and Moses are saying the same thing. I don't think they ever met. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. We're talking about thousands of years of difference, but the same spirit of God. Long ago, the writer says, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, these, these days since Jesus has come, ascended, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God spoke long ago like he did at Horeb, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus Christ, the very word of God. God made flesh. And Jesus, this Jesus is the heir of all things. You know what that means? It means he owns it all. He created the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He is God himself in the very flesh of humanity. And notice, notice that he upholds the entire universe by what? His word. So when you look into the sky, and I want to do this. I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to do this either today, tomorrow. I want you to look into the sky one day in the afternoon or at night. And I want you to notice something. Night might be even better because you could kind of see the, you know, the starry sky with the moon. I want you to notice the galaxy and I want you to just look up and go, hey, you know what? None of this has self-destructed. I'm still here. Everything's still working as it is supposed to. And here's what I want you to remind yourself when you do that. God is speaking through that. That's what Hebrews 1.1 is telling us. 
He is holding the universe together by his word, the word of his power. And God is speaking, has spoken, and he is still speaking. So when you go out and you see that and you say, wow, this is all being held together, you can say, God is still speaking. The question is, are you listening? Are we listening? Do you live your life with the daily understanding that God has spoken? I was hit by this text, and that's how it hit me. Like, Lord God, help me to live my life. I don't want to just be a preacher of the word, but one that realizes God has spoken. And it matters. It needs to matter to you that the God of the universe has given us his word. Are there idols in your life? Do not live as if God has not spoken. Do not live in the silence of idolatry. Because that's what it is. It's the silence of idolatry. It's worshiping idols that do not speak. And my prayer is that we would be reminded that our God has spoken and he has spoken most clearly through his son. And even what we're gonna be moving to here in a few minutes, baptisms are a symbol and a reflection of the fact that God has spoken and we have people who wanna follow the word of God in obedience to be baptized, to identify themselves with Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, I'm so thankful to you for your word. I pray that you would impress that upon each one of us. That if God has spoken, then it must matter. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand. I pray, Lord God, if there are those listening who have idols or things in their life that are taking the place that only God alone should have, that you would convict them and they would recognize what those things are and say, God, you have spoken and I want to be one that is following what it is you have said. If we're listening to the words of society and media and we have elevated their word above the word of God, forgive us. If that's happening, forgive us. Help us to recognize that if God has spoken, It changes everything. And we thank you, God, that you have done this. That you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. We give you the praise and the glory that you alone are due. And we do that in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.